0: Vulnerability. When we think of the teaching of our Lord, vulnerability may not be the first idea that comes to mind, but it is there within our Lord's teaching the sense of being vulnerable to each other and being vulnerable to our God. What do we mean by vulnerability? Well, it's the idea of being open and not hardened, it's the idea of being open to attack. The dictionary definition of the word is the quality of being exposed to the possibility of harm. Researchers in the field of psychology have identified that vulnerability is essential for all relationships. It is essential for a true connection with others. Being vulnerable allows intimacy. It allows a deeper connection than just acquaintance. And while modern researchers have discovered this, there is nothing new under the sun. In this article, we want to consider the importance of vulnerability in our relationship, firstly, with our Father, and secondly, with each other, as brothers and sisters in Christ. We all want relationships, don't we? We are wanting a relationship with our Maker, with our Heavenly Father. We want a relationship with our brothers and sisters. And we want a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Captain, our Ruler, our Master, our Bridegroom. And we don't just want these relationships to be hollow, shallow, cold and distant. We want to feel that closeness, that intimacy, that warmth and love that comes from those special connections. Matthew chapter 18 opens with the idea of vulnerability. In the opening verses, Christ takes a little child and sits him in the middle of his disciples. Now, one of the things about little children is that they are vulnerable whether they like it or not they are open or exposed to the possibility of harm in fact offense or harm is not only possible but likely as verse 7 says it must needs be that offenses come or the NASB for that verse has it is an inevitable that stumbling blocks come if we are to be converted and become as little children then we need to become vulnerable and offense is inevitable in our lives we are not encouraged by Scripture to become tough or hardened or callous. Instead, we are encouraged to become humble, to remain moldable to our God working in our lives like a little child. This vulnerability aspect is why, in Matthew 18, our Lord emphasizes the need to receive one such little child in Christ's name, as verse 5 says. And through verses 6 to 14, he warns against causing offense and highlights the need to ensure that none of these little ones becomes offended or lost verses 15 to 20 then deal with conflict how to resolve conflict in the spirit of not offending a little one if you like verses 15 to 20 are the responsibility to avoid offending a little one who has trespassed the reality is that we all offend each other james 3 verse 2 says For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able to bridle the whole body. If we are honest, brothers and sisters, we offend others just as often as we are offended ourselves. And this can be in the big things or the small, depending on the circumstance. It's one of the awful things about the human nature we bear, that we are extremely capable of hurting those around us. In this article, though, we want to focus on our response to being offended and our own vulnerability to offence. Because throughout the rest of Matthew 18, Christ's focus shifts from not offending to dealing with the responsibility of the offended. In particular, their forgiveness from their hearts to those who have offended them. What is our response when our brothers and sisters, our family or our friends let us down? It's inevitable that they will because they have human nature as well. But how do we respond? Well, one way we could respond is by allowing ourselves to become hardened, which is the natural human response. If someone has hurt us, we want to avoid being vulnerable to them again. In extreme cases, we want to stop the relationship altogether, but in less extreme cases, we want to avoid being vulnerable to them. So we tend to close up a bit and withdraw from being in such a close relationship with them. We cut off our emotions because it's, it is too painful to deal with them. It is too painful to open up to that person again, and we don't trust that we can because we might get hurt. Worse still, we might talk to others about their offence, not in an effort to help them, but in an effort to justify ourselves or convince ourselves and others of their wrong and how right we are to maintain our distance. Proverbs 18 verse 19 states, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. But is this the answer? How should we respond? Our Lord told us in Matthew 5 that when we are smitten on the right cheek, we should turn to that person, the other as well. There is no resistance in that, no pulling away, no striking back. It is to remain vulnerable for a further attack. But how do we do this? How do we find strength to remain vulnerable to our brothers and sisters and to those around us in the world when they have hurt us, when they have offended us? We know cutting them off, withdrawing from them can't be the answer. There is no love in that. There is no true forgiveness. And this brings us to the root of the issue, because it's about full forgiveness. It is full forgiveness from our heart in love that creates or maintains that vulnerability. They go hand in hand. Without forgiveness, there is no vulnerability. And without this willingness to be vulnerable, there is no forgiveness from the heart. If you are anything like me, I think we sometimes tell ourselves we have forgiven our brothers and sisters, when perhaps we haven't. Oh yes, if someone asks us to our face whether we have forgiven them, we would say yes. And we may feel that in some sense we have. But we don't mix with them much anymore. We have a lot less to do with them, and we don't express our love to them anymore. We might smile and be pleasant and have a polite conversation with them. But we know the relationship is not as it was before. And we can use all sorts of justification for this. We can't trust that they won't do it again, perhaps. Or perhaps we put a label on their character and say they're just a X sort of brother or Y sort of sister. That's just them, perhaps. But this is not full forgiveness. Our Lord taught us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. In other words, how we would like God to forgive us should be the way in which we forgive others. So what does this look like? When we are forgiven by God, are we happy for him to hold us at a distance from then on? To no longer work in our lives, perhaps, or to be a little bit disinterested in our salvation from that point? If we are going to use the fact that we can't trust our brother or sister won't do it again as an excuse to withhold full forgiveness, then how much more could God use this as an excuse? He knows for certain we will keep offending him. We will keep sinning until that day that by his grace we are made immortal. No, we don't want him to keep us at a distance from that point on. We want the relationship to be as it was before we sinned, like as though the sin had never happened. As David says, we want him to restore us to the joy of his salvation. Is that how we forgive our brothers and sisters? Can we be that vulnerable? Think about the benefits of being vulnerable. When we are vulnerable, we encourage others to be vulnerable. We encourage a culture of vulnerability. What are the implications for ecclesial life? Several implications, though perhaps not a complete list, are 1. A culture of vulnerability goes hand in hand with a culture of humility. Where is pride and status in this type of culture? Where is keeping up appearances? You can't have this at the same time as having vulnerability. Number two. Secondly, a culture of vulnerability encourages honesty and openness, with no deception. James 5 verse 16 tells us to confess our faults one to another and pray for one another. It is about bringing our faults to the surface so that we can assist each other. Thirdly, vulnerability, as we said before, is about intimacy and about deepening our relationships with each other. We want a culture of vulnerability in our ecclesias, don't we? So how do we find strength to forgive like this, to remain vulnerable like this, to love like this? In Matthew 18 verse 21, Peter also has this dilemma. And comes to Christ and says, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Christ gives him an answer that is tied strongly to the 70-week prophecy from Daniel 9, i.e. 70 times 7. The 70-week prophecy in Daniel 9 is a prophecy where God unveils the time period in which he would provide Messiah for the nation. So, in referencing this, Christ is guiding his listeners to think about the lengths the Father himself has gone to, in patiently working with his people, Israel, despite their rejection of him, in order to reconcile not just them, but the whole world to himself. To add further weight to the idea that the 70 times 7 is referencing the love and patience of the Father to provide forgiveness for us, From verses 23 to 34, Christ now gives a parable about a servant who, despite the forgiveness he had experienced from his master, is unable to forgive his fellow servant the smallest debt. Christ's parable is telling us that our forgiveness of others must be a reflection of the forgiveness that we have received from God. As God has opened himself to us, as he has shown us love, we must in turn reflect this to others. This is the essence of 1 John 4, verse 10 to 11. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. This great love of the Father in sending his Son involved great sacrifice. It involved immense vulnerability there was immense exposure to the opportunity of hurt, not only for the Father, but also for the Son. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul is showing the Corinthians the impact that the sacrifice of Christ should have on us. For example, verses 14-15 to read, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then were all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Paul, throughout chapter 5, goes on to show that the work of Christ was actually the work of the Father in reconciling the world to himself. Following on from this, Paul issues an appeal to the Corinthians at the start of chapter 6. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also, That ye receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time, behold, now is the day of salvation. Paul's appeal to the Corinthians is that they receive not the grace of God in vain. God has reached out to them and to us all through the great act of grace, the provision of his Son. But would it be in vain? Following this question in verse 2, Paul quotes Isaiah 49. Why is he quoting Isaiah 49 here? Isaiah 49 is about the work of God in Christ. Verse 1 for context reads, Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken ye people from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. So it was Yahweh's work. God called Christ from the womb for this ministry, the purpose of reconciling the world to himself. But it wasn't easy for Christ as the Messiah. Verse 4 reads, Then I said, I have laboured in vain. I have spent my strength for naught and in vain. This is what Paul is asking in 2 Corinthians 6. Would Messiah's work be in vain? Would it all be for nothing? Would Christ's life and work, his immense sacrifice on the cross, all be wasted? Would the love of the Father and the love of the Son be outpoured on this world in vain? This is vulnerability, isn't it? This is about the greatest act of vulnerability that the world has ever seen. It was the Father's vulnerability and the Son's. Isaiah 49 goes on to include in verse 8 the section that Paul was quoting from in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2. Thus saith the Lord, In an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee and I will preserve thee and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate heritages. This was the response of the father to the son, reassuring him that his work would not be in vain. Their work together would result in a covenant of the people that would establish the earth. And this is where Paul's mind was as he appealed to the Corinthians. Back in Second Corinthians chapter six from verses three to ten, Paul lists out the lengths the apostles had gone to in order to be ministers with Christ, in order to extend the grace of God to the Corinthians. And in verses eleven to thirteen we read Paul's appeal. O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. Ye are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. Now for a recompense in the same I speak as unto my children. Be ye also enlarged. The apostles' hearts were enlarged, or made open, as the word means. They had just made themselves vulnerable to the Corinthians, just as God and Christ had in their sacrifice in Isaiah 49. And Paul pleads with them don't be straightened, don't be constricted or contained, as the word straightened means. In other words, don't shut off your heart from us, Corinthians. Allow yourself to be affected by our love. Allow yourselves to be vulnerable and feel the love of the Father in the Son which we are extending to you. Brothers and sisters, can we see the need for our own hearts to not be straightened, to not be restricted? We need to be vulnerable to receive God's mercy and then be willing to extend that to others. Finally, Let's remember that our Lord wasn't hardened. He continued to pour out his life, despising the shame, the mockery, and the constant hurt of his very own people. He wept. He wept at the hardness of the Jews' hearts over Lazarus. He wept over Jerusalem in Luke chapter 19. But his trust was in the Father, who he knew would not let him down. And so he hid not his face from shame and spitting. He gave his back to the smiters and his cheeks to those that plucked off the hair. How will we respond to this great act of vulnerability?